5, 14 and 15. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15 we start. And this side I want Romans 6, 4. Romans 6, 4. While you guys are looking that up, Nate is standing and he's going to be able to help me. He preached a fantastic message in, what, Sunday night? A couple nights, a couple Sundays ago? Yeah. <laughs> it depends, right? And... Uh, and so he's got a particular gift after I heard that. he got a particular gift. Take a look at these folks before I start, because it's going to really help me. Tell me if you think this room is full of normal brains. Uh, this would be very helpful. I mean, that's what I'm saying. So it may, may not be uh, I just, sketchy. Okay. I just couldn't resist that. Sorry, Nate. Okay, 2 Corinthians. Let's start with uh, Romans 6, 4. Some, somebody's got to get that over here. Speak with authority. Romans 6 4. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Right. We were buried in his death. So we, when we're resurrected or raised, now we have the ability to walk this new life, to live in this new life. How about 2 Corinthians 5 14 and 15? <coughs> Somebody. For well, the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their So, um, and then there's there, this 15 was they no longer live for themselves, yep. right? Okay. So the idea is that if there is a spiritual death, they're talking about your relationship with God. If there's a spiritual death at spiritual life, that means you're born again, then you have the ability to walk with him. So a lot of times we skip over that whole idea of sanctification killers, and we forget that you have to have that ability. So they're talking about justification, which is monergistic, which means there's one agent, God. And now we're talking about sanctification. When we talk about dealing with these sanctification killers, uh, that's, that's synergistic. It takes you and God. There's some ability, you have to work at this. There's, there's, uh, you have, God's given you a grace and the ability to do it, but we have to remember, sometimes we think, well, it's just God's going to do this, or I, it's all my responsibility, it's synergistic. So turn Philippians 4, we're going to, we got 30 minutes to cut through this thing, and if we have to go on and bump Ben next week, we'll just, we'll just do it, it's not that big a deal. I'll be killed for saying that. All right, Philippians 4, we're back in the verse, I guess, 11 through 18. 11 through 18. And this was Paul's final words. This is really the, really the core issue about contentment. And we're dealing with discontentment on a regular basis. If you were born on this side of Adam, you still are challenged with that. And sometimes because we don't in, intentionally deal with some of these issues, we will always be victims of one thing. Living for Christ without the peace of God. Living for Christ without the peace of God. Peace with God was our first two scriptures. It means we, we're, we're with him. He called us. He saved us. Delivered us from that. He sanctified us. Set us apart. Justified us. through Lord Jesus Christ took our sin. He paid the punishment. Perpetuation happened. All that stuff. All those great theologies. And uh, so now we had peace with God. Now, how do we live peace of God. It's not automatic. 
It's not automatic. So let's take a look at what Paul was talking about here, and then we're going to just give you four quick things, and I'm going to talk. I'm going to end with some things you need to do to work on. And I gave you an article in your handout in the very back. I'd like for you to read that sometime this week if you can. To get the, if you're if you're exposed to this, if you're here, if God's God's providence that you're here, then you need to follow through on this. He wants to help you, especially in the future. The hardships are coming. You know, be a, we're going to be another World War III generation that has to go through some of these things. So we have to have we have to be content. I think you guys do a great job on it. I don't see a lot of evidence otherwise, but you know your own heart. And it, Paul says this in verse eleven: Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. That is huge. That's loaded with a lot of stuff there. He says it's a learning thing. In verse twelve: I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. And in any and every circumstance. Now he's talking about circumstances involved in this. I've learned the secret. Is this a secret? Yeah, there's a, it's not a secret of, of, of disguise from us, but there's a trick to it. There's an understanding in it, basically what he's saying, of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Taken out of context. People use it all the time. I see an MMA fighter. He's got it, he's got it tattooed all across his chest. Fightings, like I can do all things. That's not what he's talking about. He was talking about something much different than your bonehead in that ring beating people up. Anyway, so this is what Paul was talking about in the right context. 14, I can do all things while grumbling and disputing. Really? I mean, you think about all the things Paul was suffering, what he experienced going through life, following God, doing everything, staying strong for the truth, everything that attacked him from the outside. And he said, no, on the inside, listen, I can do everything without grumbling and disputing. They may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you have shined as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. So in that day of Christ, I may be proud that I do not run in vain or labor in vain. Verse 17. Even if I'm poured out as a drink offering upon sacrificial offering your faith of, of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise. You should also, you should also uh, be glad and rejoice with me. Now, I have an outline, uh, basically what it looks like, hopefully. Uh, it, first of all, let me see if I can find this. I guess it is. Yeah, basically he says this. Uh, I have four parts of this, and you'll see it on your handout. You don't have to follow along on that. But contentment is sovereignly learned in life circumstances, verse 11 and 12. And I'm going to break these down. We're going to go through them and just take a little bit of time. And in the last 15 minutes, we'll talk about some things we need to do. Contentment is supernaturally empowered by God's grace. So he's not asking us to do this on our own like a Jehovah's Witness or a, a, somebody in another cult. I'm going to try to control my behavior, control my behavior. And then, then I seethe and, and sulk about what's not happening for me. It's not like that. Uh, it's by his grace he gives you the ability to do this. Contentment has sanctifying benefits in our suffering. Uh, verses 14 and through 16, and then um, 17, 18, contentment breeds satisfaction in our journey. And that's where we live with the peace of God. It's funny, when you have the peace of God, it has a certain sobering effect for no matter what's happening to your life. No matter what happens, no matter what you're suffering, whatever you're walking through, it just seems to have a sobering effect. I don't know if you've ever gone through a hurricane. But uh, we lived in Florida for like seven years. I went through a few. Part of that was I was with the police department. Part of it was with 
uh, the church, but um, it's weird because when the eye comes over, it's sobering, isn't it? I mean, it's just like, whoa. I mean, it was, I, I was out there trying to cook up all this uh, lobster. I had my friends over, and I had, I had about 20, I had 20 of them I had to get. I didn't want the freezer to, I was like, no, I'm, I'm eating these things. I don't care if there's a storm or not. And I'm, we're cooking them up. My buddy Bernard and I were cooking them. And a giant room, half the size of this room, taller, just rolled right behind my house. The wind was, the hurricane was blowing you. It ripped off a screen room off of a house, and we just looked at each other like, let's get in there. We took all those, it went inside. But all of a sudden, bang, it's just peace. The eye just came over. In the midst of all the conflict and all the people being killed, and I've heard cinder blocks were going through homes all the way from the beginning of the house to the back right through the house like it was nothing, like a missile, and, and all of a sudden it's just total peace. Let me tell you something, that's how we live. That's how we live the, the, as the, as the uh, hurricane comes across and, and makes landfall. I found out from some of the other policemen I knew that were water patrol guys at one time, they said the water churns up to 12 feet deep. And they have seen barracuda and other fish just you know, peacefully at 13 feet swimming around in the ocean like it's no big deal. They're living right in the conflict, but have peace. So I just want to Im- Im- just try to encourage you that to, to live a Christian life without the peace of God is so difficult. It's not impossible. It's miserable. It's terrible. And so you can do this. And so we have some things that we'll unpack a little bit, and we'll talk about them, and then we'll move to these other ones. Verse 11 and 12. Not that I'm speaking of the mean to be in a need, for I've learned whatever situation I am content. And so um, it's interesting. He's in prison. Uh, he has constant problems over and over again. Every circumstance of his life by providence he is a learning thing. It's like a class. You're taking another class. God's giving you another class, another more conflict, more circumstances, more tests and trials and tribulations. Well, but look what's happening to me. No, no, that's not what it is. Now it's another class because God knows you need more. You haven't learned the lesson yet. You haven't seen this yet. And you just go through it again and again and again. So another hurricane's coming. Oh, no. Well, I know I have peace with God. I know that peace with God. So I'm, I don't know. Whatever happens, happens. The Lord is going to help me. And so you can go through another hurricane, another hurricane, another hurricane of your life because God is giving you the peace to, to sustain and to walk through all this. That's where, that's where he's at. There was like a little debate going on between the Stoics and the Cynics back in those days when Paul, in the context he was talking about. And he's like, well, but isn't Paul's like this? The uh, Cynic said, you know, is that it, first of all, it can't be believable. This guy is probably manipulating or embellishing all these things, and it's probably not, it's probably not true. And then the Stoics say, no, this, this is evidence of somebody who's, who has, uh, you know, has this ability to sustain and endure circumstances. And the word he uses here, uh, autarkia, is, is, means to be self-sufficient. It doesn't mean that way. It means to be completely detached from circumstances. Well, that's something you ought to know. I mean, that is, that's worth the margin of your Bible. That being content means to be completely detached from circumstances. It's not your identity. It's not a personal attack on you. It's not something that's, uh, that's evil by God. It can't be evil. Is that something that, uh, that he is doing to you that you don't have the ability to sustain? He wants to show his glory through you and your responses to it. That even in the highs and the lows, you can learn 
contentment. So the first thing he's saying, contentment's not just something you pray down. That's what something maybe Charles Stanley would do. He'd claim something or name something. Lord, I'm just I'm putting on the full armor of God. You know, he's talking about Ephesians 6. That's not what it, that passage is meaning there. If you're living by faith, you have a certain protection. So same thing here. You just can't claim contentment. It's a learned thing. You take every circumstance as it goes along. I love the way uh, Pastor Clay, when he was first, first baby was born, I think that was Colin. And Colin didn't sleep till he was like five. Okay? All right, so he, he could have turned to be a serial murderer. Or he could, he could learn through this. And, and he did because he had a couple other kids that were worse. And guess what? He kept having a couple kids. That's a sign, isn't it? I don't know. Now I believe in mental illness. I all of a sudden. No, but I'm just saying. So he, he was so sweet about it. He's like, no, the Lord wants me. This is something I have to learn. I have to do this. I have to be able to work when I'm tired. I have to be able. And he was just saying, no, no, I'm going to trust the circumstances that are teaching me something. I said, that is nice for such a young man to learn that at that age. Circumstances, the training ground. That's what Paul's really saying. And so he said, I learned these through the secret of facing plenty and hunger. In other words, I've experienced all these things, but the inside, inside of my spiritual life remains stable. I'm not going to be unstable because I have too much. I'm not going to be unstable because I don't have enough. These are very tough times in your life. Paul learned to conquer circumstances. Circumstances didn't conquer him. Second thing he says was contentment is supernaturally empowered. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Uh, you're a fool to think if you can be content without the power of God. Most of the time, you just that's the one thing you should understand. You need to, re- to rehearse that in your heart and your mind. You need to look over the stories. He sustained Abraham, even Moses, Abraham, all the way through. Look at all the people. Joseph spent a terrible point of his life. But those things in Genesis 50, that meant for evil. God meant for good. And you can just constantly remind yourself who you are in Christ rather than trying to identify with the suffering. So he's talking about going through this suffering. And he, you can conquer all these things. Spiritual maturity is measured by your humble response to circumstances. Spiritual maturity is measured by your humble response to, to, to circumstances. Now, so memorizing the whole Bible doesn't make you mature. Uh, having a perfect attendance for 25 years in the church does not make you mature. That's what Paul was trying to tell us. Third thing was contentment uh, has sanctifying benefits. I do all things without grumbling and disputing, verse 14 and 15, that I may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of the crooked and twisted generation. He didn't fix the crooked and twisted generation so he could have contentment. He said, even in the midst of that, these are things that are going to happen. You can look and see, you can watch Revelation and uh, what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, or at least uh, Matthew 25, 4 and 5, he, he's telling us what it looks like, what the end times look like, what the, what the turmoil of the world looks like. So you can politically try to fix all this, or you can spiritually submit to what God wants you to have. So he mastered grumbling and disputing. Because of one thing, and I just want you to make note of this one thing. Paul protected his testimony above all things. People were watching him. They're trying to validate him. Remember, they didn't have the roving book of the scripture. You know, he was there, and people were watching his life. 
And his testimony was amazing. He did it for his own testimony and the motives of his own heart, which is the conscience sake. So we have to remember that he says he does this by holding fast to the word of life. You'll, you'll condition your heart the more truth you invest in it. The more truth you invest, not more religion, the more truth you invest in your life, the more you will create a strength, a residual strength, the deep, the soil of your heart where weeds of, of sin grow out of. What is the soil like? You just got to plant the word of God in your heart. Never, never stop. So the hope he gave was the day of Christ and his faithfulness. And that's where he's always looking ahead. So he's eternal thinking. Stop thinking on things of the earth. Colossians 3. Think on the things above. It's, it's, a, it's a, a constant practice. Developing a new discipline. And then you can go back and look at a distance from your position in Christ and look at your circumstances clearly. But when you're emotional, it's hard to see it. It always looks personal. You always see it in the mirror. Last thing he says this, contentment breeds satisfaction in our journey. So even if I'm proud of poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice. Now think about this. You had Tyndale, you had Wycliffe, you had John Huss back in the days of Bohemian uh, history. You had all the guys who were tortured at the stake for their faith. Some of them sang hymns. Some of them were so focused on it. I shared with you about our district superintendent that was quoting all the scripture he had in his heart. For He was in there for a month, so they don't know how much Bible I actually quoted, but he quoted sometimes books and always chapters, but books of the Bible. Because that's what was the, the lining, that's what came out of him. I'll just be, I used to tell Cindy, I was like, man, I'm glad I'm not in a coma. <laughs> that would not be uh, good for some people to hear that. They hadn't made enough investments yet. It's got to permeate your thinking, the word of God. It's got to. It's got to. Contentment is pure other centeredness. And the goal really be for God's glory. He wants to be glorified in your life. And he's much more glorified by how you respond to circumstances than how you just handle those things by whatever, medication, resisting them. Blame shifting, whatever. It, he doesn't care about that. He cares about how he tests you and sees exactly how you're going to respond. So let's take a look at something real quick. Um, okay, we did that. Let's just go through these real quick, and I'm going to show you. Here you go. Suggestions for developing contentment. Know the nature and scope of your own heart and covetousness. Now, be honest with yourself, because only you and God really know your heart. We're not motive readers. We're not heart readers. In fact, it's very distasteful to God to tell somebody what they're thinking and what they believe. But you, on the other hand, there's no subconscious. The Bible doesn't speak of that. 38,000, some 900 scriptures over 1,600 years. It doesn't talk about a subconscious operating opposite of our consciousness. That's Freud's theory. You know your heart. Jeremiah 17 reminds us. God knows it and you know it. Make some real notes to God. You need to confess this to the Lord. I can't emphasize that enough. Confess this. to You know the scope and the nature of it. Pray daily for yourself. Don't keep praying for something else or to lift the circumstance. Lord, what, how do you want me to respond to this? That's what you should be praying. You should be praying by confession of your own sin. 
then you'll start experiencing the peace of God. When you're praying to be delivered from it, and it's not God's time, you're going to be frustrated because you expect something and reality is something else. Train yourself to thank the Lord when you're in, when you're in trouble. This is all under the same one. Uh, let's, just, let's just go there then. Pray daily. Um, and remember that you're dethroning idolatrous thinking and desires. You're, that's what you're dethroning. That's where grumbling and complaining comes from. Well, I just have to speak it. Well, if you have to speak it, speak it to the eternal God. If you can't pray as if God is alive because you can't see them, see him, then how did you were saved? How'd you put your faith and trust in a God you can't see? Be careful. We live by faith, not by sight. So pray daily and pray the right way. That's confessing your sin, not somebody else's sin. Number three, train yourself. Again, be thankful. These are things he goes on in Philippians 4. We know we give thanks in all things. We know that. It's hard to do that. And sometimes I like it because I say, Lord, I'm not saying thank you that I'm suffering like this. I say thank you that you're in charge of this circumstance in my suffering. Thank you that you are eternally perfect and pure. And then Peter says that he loves us. He's, he's, he, he, we're, we're apples of his own eye. We, we are... We are part of the part that he loves us so much. And that's what I, I cast my care on. I say, Lord, thank you that you're, you know, you're perfect. You cannot sin. You know, you're holy. You know all things. So you're not just omnipotent. You're omniscient. You know all things. That's, you, you train yourself to respond like that. And it's very helpful. You'll see the peace of God. Remember that your greatest needs cannot be met by temporal pleasures. So oh, now that's where self-talk has to come in. No, no, Mark, you don't really need that. No, this is not, you don't need that to be happy. God will protect you where you can't protect yourself. You don't need to worry about this or worry about that. And well, but, but the Chinese are coming and the Russians are coming. I know, I know. But last time I checked, I mean, I could be wrong. God is bigger than the Chinese and the Russians. Okay? I mean, yes, there are things we have to do. I'm very much into... You know, preparing my life to meet demands of security issues. That's all I'll say. All right. I'm, I'm fine with that. But where I, can't, where I can't do that, I have to trust the Lord. Now, are you trained to remind yourself of that? That's the only point. The only difference is I'm actually doing some of that. You're not. But are you trained to trust the Lord in these things? And are you trying? You're not just being the dumb child and you're not, you know, you're living hand to mouth. I mean, are you really thinking through some of these issues, you have to remember um, some of these things. So you train yourself through self-talk. Using the scripture, your true identity is in Christ. So it doesn't matter if you're a Virginian or if you're from California. Oh, I stepped over the line there. That's yeah. true. <laughs> Here's another one. Uh, make good interpretation of God's dealings with you. Wow. Yeah, that's a, that's a really big one. Make good interpretations. Don't always look at it as... If they wouldn't have done this and this wouldn't happen to me, try to interpret how God is dealing with these things. Who's the focus of the sanctification? Where is the focus of God's work? When he's doing one thing, he's doing a million. Be careful. Be careful not to make this all about you. Look and see where this is really happening. Make good interpretations of your circumstances and it'll help you. That's, that's, that's kind of the wisdom side of that. And then you do the self-talk. So I think if I could flip, I probably flipped those over and made this one number four. Okay? 
Consider food, clothing, shelter, temporal necessities. Don't get caught up on this world. Remember 1 John 3, anybody or 2? Anybody that loves this world doesn't love the Father. The love is not in them. And remember, we don't love the world, the world system. Be careful. The world system is about stuff, too. So be careful and measure and evaluate yourself when it comes to stuff, food, clothing, things. I go back to Matthew 6. Uh, Mark's quoted this to me several times. He says, like, no, he said, look, your father knows everything you need. Unfortunately, he knows everything we want, too. <laughs> but he knows everything we need. He has everything. He does this for the sparrows and the lilies of the field. Why aren't you more important? My son died for you, not the lilies. Be careful. They make good interpretation. And the food and clothing is a temporary thing. Develop a mindset of a soldier. What, is, what does a soldier do? They learn to suffer well. They suffer well. You don't say, you, come on in, be a Marine. You're, you're going to have a great life. <laughs> you're going to be muddy, you're wet, and cold and tired all the time. And your sergeant, who loves you, is going to treat you like he hates you. Okay, so the world's going to treat you pretty rough and tough. So you got to, we are soldiers of Jesus Christ. He uses the analogy in 2 Corinthians all the time, chapter 9, eventually. As, you know, he talks about everything when it comes to soldiers. We see this. Uh, the whole Ephesians 6 um, part of, of the faith, you know, the protecting yourself in, this, in the faith. Listen, the whole thing is soldier kind of oriented. Why? Because they're trained, they're disciplined, and they suffer well. Sometimes we just don't do the suffering part. Do you really suffer well? You should evaluate yourself. Do not set your heart on temporal comforts and pleasures that God is enjoy, giving you to enjoy today. He may give you this to enjoy today. Some of the things I have has taken me 60 years to get. Okay? Someone say, oh, man, but, you know, you got this and that. Because I work with a lot of younger pastors, and they forgot that I was young. When there was, actually, I was young. I didn't get here without being young at one time. And uh, so, you know, some of these things come at, at, at the right time and just trusting the Lord through it, enjoying. You enjoy your strength and your youth when it's happening and you just transition. And when you start, you start enjoying the lives, the things that God gives you, but you don't hang on to it too much. It's not something you expect. Remember, conflict happens when your expectations collide with reality. And the world calls it mental illness. It's a conflict. Conflict of your own heart. You haven't set your mindset right. You don't know what you're, you're not lusting, wanting, passionate about the things that God wants you to have. You're wanting something else or expecting something else, and that God already knows the secrets of your heart. If you belong to him, he's going to impose himself on you because he owns you. You're a doulos, you're a slave. Sometimes we think we're independent agents. We can just do what we want. No, we're not. We belong to God. And the last one, remember... The more you have, the greater your degree of accountability you'll face. First Timothy 6. So you know that. Be humble about it. You can claim whatever you want to claim. It's dangerous. Claim whatever you want and then say, God gave me the rest. That's dangerous. But you can do it if you want. But he owns everything you have. Let me tell you something. He owns it to the point of this. If it wasn't for you guys in this room, Pastor Jeff and myself and Nate wouldn't feed our own families. We're dependent on the church, the generosity of the church. I've lived that way since 93. And I'm very humbled by it. That's why I'm so loyal to the church, because they sacrifice so I can serve them better. And if, I don't, if they're not generous, 
in fact, even when the COVID hit, we always talked about <clears throat> in our meetings, we talked about do we have to cut our pay 25%, 50%? What do we have to do to, to make sure we can help the church continue on? You know, we didn't know people were not going to give, and they gave more. They were sacrificial. You should be giving every week. Listen, he says this, to save your money to give on, the, on, this, on this day of the Lord. So you should be generous. It's part of what attacks the soil and the lining of your own heart. When you're generous, it works against your self-centeredness. So just remember that. So I have many things in my hands. Martin Luther said this quote, I have held many things in my hands and have lost all of them. But whatever I've placed in God's hands, that I still possess. And then Augustine said this, Faith is to, believed, is to believe what you do not see yet. The reward for this faith is to see what you believe someday. Amen? Father, thank you for our time and my friends in this room. Thank you for bringing us, Jeff, back. We're delivered and we're happy. So thank you, Lord. May this stuff uh, produce fruit in our lives that brings you glory and so we can walk in peace, the peace of God. It doesn't take circumstances or changed issues. It takes changed hearts to walk in peace. We love you and praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you.